Hi, this is Alex Lowe. I'm not entirely sure how I've ended up on the South Hells uh, podcast, but I'm looking forward to understanding where the hell this is going to take us down, which rabbit hole. Who knows? Let's strap in, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to South Hells, with decades of making interesting decisions. Jamie and Pete are dedicated to helping aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with their no BS approach and tactics. Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. We'd like to thank the Man Farm Winalytics, Trent S. and Aaron J. for their continued support. Demandfarm.com, unlock key account growth, smart software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Go to Demandfarm.com, ask for Iron Man. Hey, check out Brent Keltner's Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass at Winalytics.com. In eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in a new buyer environment. Sign your team up for the Masterclass today at Winalytics.com. If you'd like to help us out to improve the quality of our content, go to Patreon.com slash Okay, it's time for shout-outs. Congratulations, Laura Morris. Nine years at Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. Hope you're doing well, Laura. Alex Martuccilio, six years at Career Builder. Old School Michael Yerke, 26 years at House of Blues Live Nation. How you doing, my friend? Leslie Cervantes, one year at Excel Sports Management. Kumar Guarari, two years at First Tech. Shay McManus, two years at Aya's Landing. Laura Levko, got a new gig as Sales Operations Manager at Sinkly. Adrian Calusto, got promoted to Senior Product Designer at DesignMe.Agency. Lauren Fish, three years at Upwork. Ron Heyman, four years at OnYourServiceToAmerica.com. Lauren Blatton-Coover, new gig, Director of Sales at RELI Exchange. Jessica Sakura got a new gig, professional recruiter at Bon Secours Mercy Health. Wendy Franzen's got a new gig as Vice President at Infant Welfare Society. And hey, we got some birthdays. Happy birthday it goes out to Diana Ristic, Justin Cannon, David Mannon, and Mackenzie Maitland. Welcome another turnaround this big old globe. Alex Lowe, thank you so much for joining us on the uh, Sassholes. You had nothing better to do? <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Alex, you've got podcasts. You seem to be a LinkedIn expert. Uh, why, why are people going to care that they uh, turn this on? Because it's definitely not for our show. Um, well, I thought I'd bring a bit of class to this to start with in terms of bring my limey accents to, uh, to the other side of the pond. Um, I started the podcast as a hobby. Back in the day when I was advising organizations around social selling, digital selling, whatever we're going to call it. And I thought, well, if we're going to advise organizations to use podcasts, I better st start my own podcast. And now it's become a, a passion because it enables you to meet loads of really interesting folk to talk about interesting things. And it's also a nice sales and business development tool as uh, as part of that because you get like for like coming on podcasts backwards and forwards and then you can leverage their marketing machines and functions to get your name and your brand out into uh, uh, the relevant uh, relevant audience so yeah the death of a salesman is my uh, my podcast and reference to the uh, the brilliant arthur c miller play <laughs> so is sales dead uh it seems to be dead every day depending on um which uh, which audience or which uh, influencer you are uh, following i think far from it 
I yeah. think it just needs, I think you should never use the word think. Uh, I believe that now is the time where sales needs to take a long, hard look at itself and accept the world has changed. And to use that cliche, just because you sold that way 25 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, Mr. or Mrs. Sales Director, it's a new world today. And we start, we need to accept that and change the way that we we think about and how we how we sell. So it's not dead. There's just opportunity ahead of us. Yeah, it's different. When when you say change, what do you mean by change? Sales should change into what? I think selling is all selling is always selling, right? But the way the biggest challenge around sales is in, is how we incentivize reps because that drives the wrong behavior, which then drives the wrong client experience, which then drives 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 drives. And also the challenge we now have at the moment is that selling is more around uh, trying to create the best cadence, trying to create the best email structure, trying to create the best automation through what are the, what are the, whatever sales engagement platform you have, and then click go and assume that your 10 touch, multi-touch, this touch, whatever touch approach will help create a conversation. And that the more you throw in the top of the hopper, the more that's come out of the uh, come out of the bottom, and my my belief is that yeah, if you're selling low value, low cost, low risk, you can do that. As you start to move up the value change in terms of the products and solutions that you're selling, and more buyers are involved, that approach is. I mean, it's failing, right? <laughs> Based on what we're now seeing in terms of all the research out there, um, even the those that wrote the sales books and the sales processes five, six, seven, eight years ago are now saying that those processes probably aren't fit for purpose for the modern the modern buyer the internet internet age yet we still seem to be thinking that more and more at the top more automation more third party data more 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 we're going to change the outcomes which is it's not it's not changing right so maybe it's time to take a long hard look at ourselves and actually just rip up the rule book and start all over again you know, we talked about the last 25 years. I mean, 25 years ago, you know, the knowledge was contained in one place. So you need to take a salesperson and put them out on the road and yep. disperse the information. Now it's decentralized and it's, you know, the buyers, I mean, the buyers have always had their script or routine down better than the salespeople that would come to yep. visit them. Right. Mm -hmm. So now it seems to me like since the knowledge is decentralized, these buyers are picking three people. They know what they want and they're going to pick three, three people to have them dance for their supper. And I don't think the salespeople understand that you really have to be good with your differentiators. Is that what has changed or what else have you seen changed, Alex? So, I mean, I've, I've been there, right? So my first job was in real estate uh, in the UK and then moved into recruitment where all I could do was cold calling. It was literally the Glen Gary, Glen Ross, that famous Alec Baldwin scene was our training video. Um, the amount of abuse we'd shout at each other, shouting, put that coffee down, the, the yeah, leads yeah. are weak, more weak. And that that was our, our mantra in the world that I was I was brought up in in, um, in sales. I, I, I feel that the challenge that we have today yes the buyer has become more empowered because of the the internet age that we uh that we live in we've been sold the dream on martech and sales tech in terms of um automation of outreach to achieve those those goals of creating a conversation um we have a generation of sales people where they grew up or have grown up 
in a world where we don't communicate through the telephone. We communicate through WhatsApp. We communicate through messaging. We communicate through DMs. That's what they're comfortable with. They're not being coached. Or should I say, they're not being forced really into having those uh, those com- those conversations. Or if they they are through power assisted dialers, there are some brilliant you know platforms out there. They're banging through the calls and they're not being given the the coaching to to handle <laughs> cold calling, for example, because it's it's a brutal it's a brutal sport. So we hide behind we hide behind email, and part of this is. I'm going to be bold here and say leadership because the leaders are reflecting on how they built book of business 15, 20 years ago and are trying to force that into the today's world. And I've just finished a brilliant book by Tom Tom Goodwin called Digital Darwinism in the second edition. And he makes reference to, we are trying to force new technology on old processes rather than maybe accepting the old processes are not fit for purpose anymore. So let's look at the process, whatever that process might be, and maybe there's a better way of doing this process to get to that same end goal. I have a very cliche slide when I talk through this. So the listeners want to close their eyes and kind of visualize this. I have a, um, a uh, caterpillar, which then you show the stages of it turning into an actual digital butterfly. And I always say, what was I trying to do 20 years ago when I was cold calling? Set a sales meeting? What am I trying to do today? What are we all trying to do today? Exactly the same thing. Set a sales meeting. So the outcome has has never and never will change. What has happened, I'm not sure this is a word, but it's the digitalization of the sales process that has fundamentally shifted. And the process in, in of itself in terms of how people are buying has shifted. Pete, to your earlier point, you know, the decentralized world that we now in the age of information, too much information and, uh, and so on. But it boils down to brave leadership, the way that the salespeople are KPI and driven, corkly basis. It gets complex, right? Because then you've got to drive CFOs have to drive shareholder value, invested, da, 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 and we run on a 12-month on a 12-month cycle. So it's we're kind of you know, we start between the devil and the dark blue, the dark blue sea. So I'm not sitting here going, "Hey, maybe wave a magic wand that's really, really easy to do." Because not, but I believe back to the earlier question around is sales dead? It it will be <laughs> if we allow what is happening to continue to um, to happen because buyers will just get sick of it and we'll just automate <laughs> we'll just automate ourselves out of existence. Now, now Carney, we're a re- revenue operations podcast, right? And sales Correct. is part of Rev, you know, these chief it's revenue the, officers, the guys, part. yeah, these revenue people that think they know how to sell. I don't know how they get in charge of all this stuff, whatever. So, you have sales and marketing underneath one budget, mm-hmm. right? Is that that what's going on? So, th- so that way, you know, sales, I always hated marketing because they suck. The sales, marketing, CS, renewals, yeah. yeah. So, it's all underneath one. So, it's it's hard to point the finger because it's all underneath one, one, one budget. Has that happened in the last, what, five years, 10 years? How has that changed? Because to me, CRO is like sales and marketing. You know, it's, you know, put together. I mean, the the, the sales and marketing complex has been around for for certainly since 2015 in terms of that, that tension between the two. And that's probably through the birth of, kind of marketing campaigns and ABM, 
or ABX, as is now called in terms of marketing qualified leads. And Mark has done its job to create a marketing qualified lead into a CRM system because a single touch point is qualified. Qualified marketing lead and the salespeople go, this is fucking bullshit, doesn't work, so I'm going to go and do my do my own thing. And then we just, you know, I know we're listening, but then we grew further and further apart because sales weren't going to marketing going, these aren't working, here's why. Or marketing weren't looking over the fence and going, hey, this is all going wrong because marketing, hey, we're, we're KPI and driven on different metrics, which were completely in tension with the metrics that salespeople were, um, uh, were, were KPIs. I used to, you know, call marketing the colouring department in my my recruitment days, and say to them, you know, without us, you wouldn't have a job marketing. The irony is, if I I see myself as much as a a marketeer today as I do as a salesperson because of the the power of social media, because of my I've fallen out of I've fallen out of love with the term social uh, social selling, but the two do now go hand in um, hand in glove. But irrespective of where the budget is or who it reports up into CRO, CMO, head of rebels is, is kind of irrelevant in my view, because again, it's that we need people to sit down and have a frank conversation with each other, understand what everyone's kind of tensions are, understand what, if I don't do this, I lose my job. If you don't do that, I lose my job. Okay. So what can we do? to do this differently, to get this to the end goal. And if we're going to believe everything that we see on the market, we're truly client-centric, which we're not, um, then be truly client-centric and make it about them. And that's why um, Brent Adamson, who is the most, not the most recent, but the guest on my second to most recent podcast, again, forgive me if that's not that's not English, uh, off the back of the article that he penned in uh, Harvard Business Review, which he said as sales and marketing has become obsolete, and around, it was Jenna Pipchuk and Jeff Lowe uh, at Smart Technologies in Canada just before the pandemic hit, ripped up the rule book in terms of um, their sales and marketing functions and didn't even have the supporting of the chief exec. But they said to the chief exec, just trust us, we're going to go and do it. And they built what they called the Unified, the Unified Commercial Engine, the UCE. And their viewpoint was there shouldn't be a single hand, there's not a single handoff point between sales and marketing. If you think about a buyer journey, it ebbs and flows. It moves, it flexes. It's like, it's almost liquid if, if, if you like. And therefore you need to have a sales and marketing function, or as they call it, a unified commercial engine that operates across that entire buyer process. And you just move with each other accordingly. And when is the right, who's the right person to do the right thing at the right time, pull the right lever, whether it's a phone call, email, touch point, social, and, uh, and so on to, Get to that same endpoint of creating, a creating a um a, a sale, and I think I you know Brent was the co-author of the challenger sale, right? So when you've got all people like Brent talking um talking about this uh, in earnest, kind of people sit up and listen. However, that requires incredibly brave sales and marketing leaders to do that, right? Because if they're sitting there going, Christ, if this doesn't work and I'm not going to hit my corporate numbers, I'm fucked. Which then comes full circle back to. KPIs, incentives, is is one of the fundamental levers that cause this problem. And there's loads of studies out there which say that money is one of the worst levers to create behavioral change. Alex, when you uh, do a Google search uh, and you you come up as a LinkedIn expert, that's one of your uh, callings. How has uh, LinkedIn changed, do you think, uh, 
to me, here's what I'm going to answer my own question. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. <laughs> Ever since it's it's been out, it's it's there's it's supposed to not be like Facebook, but it seems like it's turning into Facebook. <laughs> tell tell me about your personal problems. Tell me about how you overcame this. Or it's an echo chamber where people just comment to make sure that your name comes up in the rankings and that's it. Is it still a prospecting tool or how has it changed? So let's flip that. How did you find me? How did I find you? You were recommended to me by Marcus Couchy. Oh, cool. Marcus. Okay, there we go. That crazy, that crazy dude. Old school referral, man. Marcus Couchy. Yeah. Thank you, Marcus. I appreciate it. I call him Couchy. He's He's Dr. Couchy. He's a good dude. So um, LinkedIn experts, you know, thank you for bestowing the word experts um, upon me. Um, LinkedIn, I've had a fascinating journey with the platform because I've been on it since day dot in the world of recruitment because the recruitment industry is a whole of it. And it was the best candidate, you know, database out there. And so that was the lens that I always looked at it through and always saw it as. And then kind of Facebook came along and there was a very delineated was Facebook, no, Facebook became before LinkedIn and then LinkedIn, what have you. But there was a radio, you know, Facebook's fake, but back there it was poking people and throwing sheep. And, you know, this is quite, quite cool. And then LinkedIn was a digital um, Rolodex and then find a, uh, find a job. It was only really um, at, when I was working for the law firm, uh, you, you know, attorney firm in, in London, when uh, Rob Fox and Jack Han, well, Jack Hanratty actually, he's now at, I want to say Hopin, um, came and sold the dream of Sales Navigator eight, nine years ago. That's then when I started to see LinkedIn through a very different lens around, ah, now I see how this is can become a CRM system, if you will. Actually, what was the game changer? And they kind of changed how this now works. They need to monetize it. But back then was TeamLink. And how, they, how TeamLink worked was to create a virtual map of all your employees. So then all of a sudden it was like, holy crap, you're connected to somebody I've been trying to get hold of for four months who won't respond to my phone calls. How well do you know them? Could you facilitate an introduction and start a conversation? So that started for me to shift into this journey around social, social selling. And then from social selling, that kind of led me more into looking more holistically, especially when I became independent consultant, um, more holistically around how, is, how does this all fit as a channel or a route to market along with the broader go-to-market strategy that an organization might um, might have. And I, there's a case study of me sitting on the LinkedIn website where I apparently led the first ever social selling uh, program in the commercial real estate sector where we did half a million net new and did a pipeline of 4.9 million through the first three 12 months where the people said, and these weren't salespeople, these are realtors, right? Well, they're kind of sellers, that if I hadn't thought about LinkedIn differently, if I hadn't used LinkedIn to initiate that conversation or see that referral, if I hadn't posted that thing on LinkedIn, this business conversation would never have started. And that's the thing. This is all top of funnel, pipeline creation and influence. It's not going to help you close because when the rubber hits the road, you've still got to go through um, your process, right? Pandemic hits. That's then when the world of LinkedIn just shifted. And that's when Pandora's box was, was kind of open, really, because, you know, understandably, we were suddenly in this situation and there was how the hell do we communicate? How the hell do we kind of get out what we're, uh, we're feeling? And people starting to share selfies of their desk set up and this, or, you know, a, a client of mine, an attorney, shared a picture of him doing an online, um, 
online court hearing and he was in a suit and tie here and shorts and flip-flops underneath and the post went kind of viral, which kind of opened up this, this box of it becoming more personal, uh, if you if you will. It's gone too far in, in, in some cases. I think LinkedIn saw this. LinkedIn then had to kind of catch up with the creator economies of Instagram and TikTok. So we now have creator mode, LinkedIn Live, audio events and, uh, and so on. But what this then has caused is um, the, the Instagram style view that I can be an influencer. And yes, everyone has influence on social media. Everyone has a network of influence. And yes, there are some brilliant people on LinkedIn who do this very, very well, but they're far and few between because they're just lucky to have that knack of being able to pick up on a trend and create something clever with it. But just because they're doing it doesn't mean your standard SaaS salesperson should be doing it. And the reliance of automation tools and connection, which we know goes against LinkedIn's terms of uh, terms of business. So mm-hmm. it's an, an interesting tipping point. I don't think we're ever going to go back. But the other thing that we have to also consider is that LinkedIn now has four generations of personal net. There's four generations of individuals on the platform. And let's be honest, they don't give a shit about the boomers because that's not where their money is going to come from. Their revenue streams are going to come from Gen X, Gen, no, so Gen Z, uh, Gen, no, Gen, the millennials, forgive me, Gen Z, and then Gen Alpha, we're starting the Greek alphabet again. So Gen Alpha, basically the college kids, they're now coming in. So they have to build and create a platform which is relevant to that audience who will pay premium subscriptions, who will be the decision makers to buy recruiter, buy marketing, buy, um, uh, buy this. Can you still generate leads from LinkedIn? 100%. Is it a prospecting tool? It is brilliant. However, in order to actually do this properly, you need sales navigator. And I've had nothing to do with LinkedIn, but any salesperson on the planet who doesn't have sales navigator is not using LinkedIn correctly because that then helps you cut all the noise, sort sort all the bollocks, because LinkedIn is the one-to-many, whereas Sales Navigator is your one-to-one. But if you don't understand what it means to be social in a sales context, then Sales Navigator, like every other sales tech tool, sales tech tool just becomes an expensive waste of, waste of time. And if you're telling me that, I mean, it starts at $1,000 a license, that if you generate one more business lead, through sales now over a 12 month period, I guarantee that every single salesperson listening to this, their minimum deal value is probably gonna be $10,000 minimum. So it's already paid for itself 10X over. But this then comes back to your earlier point, Pete and Jamie about, well, the budgets and this and that and so on and so forth. So I get very, def- I guess, I know, and I know you weren't challenging in terms of the question, but yes, it, it's, it's, in a, it's in a situation, but you it's back to the change, but you've got to take a step back, back to my digital butterfly, and figure out how am I going to build this into the existing go-to-market, and it's not a single channel. So this bloody narrative, cold calling is dead, social is dead and dead, email market is not dead. It's not working very well at the moment. We just need to think differently about how we use the existing stuff that we have in a different way to achieve the same outcomes that I was trying to do 20 years ago with cold calling. I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> so, if, so if you have sales, LinkedIn sales navigator, and you're a rep selling to enterprise leaders, what could you do today that would start getting more value out of what you're doing than just having that tool and searching it? 
Yep. So uh, create lead lists for starter because then that gives you all the sales triggers. Do something with the sales triggers. So if someone's changed jobs in the last three months across your accounts, they're likely going to be um, have a new budget. They're going to want to affect change. Uh, do reverse lookups. So create a lead list around all your existing clients brand logo, and then find out where your ICP has <laughs> gone to that used to work with your existing client and they've gone on to another organization. Hey, you bought this stuff from us 12 months ago. You're now at this company. Let's have a conversation. If you have Team Link Extend, so let, you can't need to be 500 plus employee for this to start to work in, um, in anger, but if you're certainly a thousand employee plus and anything beyond, the amount of organizations I, I talk to that have, let's say a thousand Team Link Extend tokens, but have a hundred sales licenses, uh, 100 sales nav licenses well team link then is only looking at the network of the 100 it's not looking at the network of the rest of the employees so let's say you sell martech well bring your marketing function into team link extend because the chances are your marketing team are already connected to other marketing people that could create an introduction for you so there's no call calling there's no automation there's no this is ah oh, pete you know the cmo of that company i'd like to go and talk to you're our cmo pete how many other cmos do you actually no, and then you start to you bring your finance team, IT team, and so on. So then you start to bring the entire business on this uh, this journey. That then starts to shorten sales cycles. It starts to create. It just starts to be quicker. So that's probably the the biggest win that you can have is go to whoever's looking after sales now and find out how many team link extend tokens you've got. Typically starts at a thousand, and if they haven't been deployed across every employee to opt their network in do that because i guarantee you're leaving money on the table carney do we want the reps dealing with linkedin i mean shouldn't sales apps or those people get this stuff put into salesforce and because we're talking about 500 and a thousand i understand if you're you know under 100 employees i get it it's just you doing it and you need it but... sales reps i mean the sales reps need to do nothing at all so whoever owns it yeah. needs to understand what they've got. Then it's an internal com. We're about to do this internally here at, um, at PA. We've got just shy of a thousand licenses. We've got four and a half thousand people on LinkedIn. We've got 4,000 team link tokens. So we're sitting there and I go, we need to get this into the, into the organization. And the salespeople do nothing other. So the salespeople do nothing. It's the internal communication to the rest of the business. This is why we're doing it. This is what this means. We're not breaching your privacy. Click this link once and your network just opts in, and then the salesperson goes into SalesNav the next day and types in account, and they go, shit, we had two team links yesterday, and now we've got 10. That's amazing. And if you believe the whole multi-threading approach, you need to create multiple, blah, 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 blah. So the sellers need to do nothing. You're just enriching the system you've already got with data. You mentioned Salesforce, Pete. Other thing, you haven't synced Sales Navigator with Salesforce or Dynamics. Go and sync Salesforce with going to, going to sync them again. The amount of times, oh, it's too difficult. Our security team went to bullshit. If our organization can sync our can sync Sales Navigator into um, our CRM system, and some of the work that we do, you need to be like level three, level four, level five security cleared, which can take eighteen months to do, and our own security function are comfortable with just creating that window, then forgive me, a bog standard SaaS company is not dealing with anywhere near the level of proprietary information that, um, that we are. But then what that then gives you is if you have that full sync, LinkedIn have a neat little report where they can match closed one opportunities against sales navigator activity. You can start to highlight, and we're seeing this now, 
where social selling and sales navigator has influenced a deal, not originated, not being the sole cause of, but then the activity the seller took on social media or LinkedIn before the opportunity was opened all the way through to close, you then start to layer that kind of data across your at your sales loft, your outreach system, your gong, your whatever it is. Then you start to look for some patterns around, hey, what does good look like? What were the touch points? What do people need to do for this to, uh, to happen? Let's start, let's kind of rinse and repeat and learn from our, our systems and, uh, and processes. Back to the point, Sales Navigator isn't the single route. LinkedIn isn't the single route. There's multiple ways to um, to do this, but everything is just looked in isolation versus looking at it in its entirety. Back to that example of smart technologies and Jenna and Jeff, where they created this unified central, unified commercial engine. What are the top three tips used in LinkedIn nowadays? What should people know? I mean, you have BDRs and you have account executives. Hopefully the BDRs aren't even messing around. They just have the list prioritized and they're calling it. But if you have to use LinkedIn, what are the tips that you have to know in 2022, Alex? So um, everybody has everybody has a so even if you haven't got sales navigator, everybody has a social selling index score. Again, I have a love hate love hate relationship with that. But just go into Google, Safari, Bing, what have you. Type in LinkedIn SSO and find out what your score is. It's built broken down into four areas: establish your professional brand and how you become a thought leader out of twenty five. Every single salesperson should be twenty minimum. Every single salesperson should be twenty because there's no reason why you can't have a content-rich profile, which talks to your next client. It's not about how a great seller you are, like cross-quota and all this bollocks. There are 870-odd million people on LinkedIn. When someone lands on your profile, you're having a one-to-one conversation with them. Talk to them as a human being. Talk to them about how you solve, solve, their, uh, uh, solve their problems. And then don't focus on being an influencer. Don't focus on the likes and the comments. Have one When you're posting something on LinkedIn, have one person in mind that's CRO, whoever you're IC, that's visualize them. Really interesting conversation this week about X. These are the three things we discussed. What do you think? Then use the relevant hashtags around that so that you're moving into the uh, the same news feeds because you can use LinkedIn as a as a method of inbound. I saw that. I read that. You seem like you, you, you know what you're talking about. Let's have a conversation. So that's the profile. The score for your profile is your profile posting stuff. Uh, connect with every single person that you have a business conversation um, uh, with. Uh, engage with your um, uh, your ideal customer. So go and follow all the C-suite at your clients, your targets. So you find them on LinkedIn, click follow. It's not a connect, click follow. That sends a signal to that person you're following them, like you do on TikTok, Insta, um, Twitter, what have you. Then if they're posting stuff on LinkedIn, um, engage in conversation. Don't sell. I talk about bringing yourself into the social proximity, their, their, their field of view. You could use it as kind of, you know, I've seen the CEO talk about sustainability as a ma- massive thing for them. What do we do in the world of sustainability? How might I use that as a route to, how might I take that information to marketing to create a marketing campaign um, around that? Little and often, it's a two minute a day, uh, two minute a day thing, but it has to be in conjunction with the other outreach that you are doing. However, I recognize that not everybody has the time to do this or feels comfortable doing it. So that's that's fine. But I do believe that every single actually employee at an organization is a window and a route into uh, a sales conversation for uh, for somebody. But get your profile up to scratch. Try and post something once a week, which answers a question. It doesn't have to be clever. It doesn't have to be about going viral. 
and um, and then fo follow the hashtags around the, the the topic of conversation and just listen to what people are um, uh, are talking about. And don't use automation in terms of outreach. Just don't do it. It's lazy. I know you can game this. You, a, you're breaching LinkedIn's terms of business. But think about, reflect, put yourself in your customer's shoes, read that. Would I? No, I wouldn't. Every time I get an email, I delete. Every time I get a piece of automation, I just um, delete because it's gone, it's gone overboard. So if you're using LinkedIn well and efficiently, you can actually drive inbound. What is the etiquette for when somebody tries to connect with you, the minute that they connect with you, then they go for the appointment and try to sell you like immediately. What is, what is the etiquette there? The pitch slap, as it's known. Um, pitch if, slap, if I, is that what? Corey, here, hold on. Alex, what is a pitch slap? So a pitch slap is exactly that. You connect and then, so it's usually, I like to add you to my professional network. I can read, I can see, I almost have little bets for myself in terms of how long it's going to take before I get the pitch slap. Um, and then the pitch slap is exactly that. Some war and peace thing, find time I can. I just block and delete. That's, 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 I block and delete. And if I think it's automation, if they piss me off enough, I'll report them to LinkedIn because I know the LinkedIn legal team. So I'll just flash up, I'll figure out what software they're doing and flick it over because I'm just bored of it. I don't do it all the time, but sometimes I'm like, really, this is just, but this is not the fault of the seller. This is the fault of leadership, management, enablement, telling them this is the way to do this. So I feel sorry for salespeople because actually it's not their fault. They are a victim of the environment that has been created and they're going uh, they're going into. But yeah, don't pitch slap. It just doesn't it just doesn't work. You might get a one in ten, a one in twenty kind of hit. Actually, right. that's good. Well, okay, so there we go. So you one in two hundred. <laughs> I'm more like one in 200 people. It's I mean, so, I had it where people have connected with me and then endorsed me for some skill I've never yeah. met before. And then a week later, hit me up on a on a pitch slap, I guess. And I'm just like, oh, you're awful. I, I usually don't I usually don't connect with half the people I know that are coming in hot and heavy. Yeah. You can sort of sense that they're coming in to just, I guess, pitch slap. Yeah. Pitch yeah. slap. We're, oh, that's going to be the hot like one that. this week, Arnie. <laughs> Don't be a pitch slapper. Don't yeah, be a pitch no. slapper. Don't do it. Listen to my man, Alex Lowe. Don't do that. So you got these newbies that are coming on, BDRs, SDRs, whatever the hell the acronym is you want to use. They just yeah. came out of school. They didn't. They couldn't get a job in what they studied in college, and now they're in sales, and now they're being rejected 99 times out of 100. Um, what advice could you give to these poor kids that are making these calls and – They've never had to ad lib before. <laughs> yeah. they, they, they've never been told that their baby is ugly. They've never been said, "Hey, you stink," and and all that. What if, How do how do you get them to? What can you teach them to pivot? I'd say it's, sometimes it's a bit of self. And this is back in my my recruitment days. That maybe sales isn't just for, isn't for you. And that's okay. That, that that is okay. Just it may be you just got to have a bit of self reflection and realize, you know what, this is shit and I don't like it. Cool. Then go find a job and go and find do go and find something else in marketing or operations or enablement or, or something. If you're on the cold calling route, you just got to stick at it. It's just the nature of the game. It's just it's what I did 20 years ago, and nothing nothing has has changed other than the 
the volume um, of it. There are some brilliant people you can follow on LinkedIn, like Jerry Hill of Connect and Sell, um, and he has hashtag 27 seconds. He has some brilliant advice as to, uh, to what to, 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 uh, to talk about. There's, um, I'm having a complete and utter Ben, 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 the UK's most hated sales trainer. Um, if you look for the UK most, most hated sales most trainer. Most hated, ben, okay. Uh, he's got some brilliant call scripts and some brilliant approach to all this on, on YouTube, YouTube channels. Um, ben, he wears, if you just look for the UK most hated sales trainer on, on uh, on LinkedIn. So the cold calling is just, it is what it is. And you have to accept the fact that people are really, really um, tired of it. Beyond beyond that, it's it is it is an art and it is a skill, and like anything in life, it takes time. It, it takes time to develop. And here I am, early forties, and I'm still learning. I'm still basing it on the basics that I was taught way back when in terms of how to how to sell. But now, what I'm and I'm slightly different in my world because our sales cycles are much longer in professional services and a slightly nuanced um, approach. But where I see, and this is actually what I post about today, um, Greg Smith, go find Greg Smith. He's founded a business called Mixtech, which is designed to help people out of college skill up on on uh, uh, on sales. Some really great free content on uh, on there. He's at Imparter at the moment, but Greg Smith, Imparter, Mixtech, is data. And uh, the post I did today was around decision intelligence. And he was talking about decision intelligence because I feel that we're relying too heavily on data just to go with it. And it's around how, this is, this is the catch 22, right? I look at whether I've got a knack to do this. I look at data and I look at what it's telling me, but then I base it on my old school approach of selling. And I'll then use that as a way to inform me as to what I should do next. And then if AI and automation is involved in that, it's what bit of that is 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 relevant, and then I kind of figure out what's the best thing to do in terms of the next the the, the next the next piece. So the art of sales takes time to learn, and that's practice, practice, practice. And the only way you can practice is just by practicing, right? Fucking up and getting it wrong and losing uh, losing deals. That's how I was taught. However, in this world of data and technology, we find ourselves if you can not become a data scientist, but are able to manipulate data, visualize data, dashboard it in a different, it's kind of what RevOps is meant to be doing, um, I guess, and learn the systems. This is the other thing, and Justin Michael talks about this in terms of our technology quotient. You know, we only use 20% of the capability of our smartphones. We used 100% of them. They probably automate our entire um, our entire life. I just upgraded my iPhone to iOS 16, and I'm now on TikTok trying to look at all the user videos. Going, what? what? I mean, it's, that's too difficult. I didn't even know you could um, you could do that. But maybe also think about how can you get how can you maximize the current use of the technology stack we've got. Are you getting the maximum use out of it? Are you using all the bells and are uh, the bells and whistles? The other aspects is then, and this is again hard telling your sales leader you want to do something something differently because you, you can't disrespect their sales experience in terms of the real world experience. However, if you can reverse mentor them and kind of understand that real world experience that all of us on this call have, uh, have lived and breathed, but how might that translate into the new world order of sales and selling especially for selling to millennials and Gen Z, if we're all to believe that 44% of blah, blah, blah would prefer a set of free um, environment, 
you potentially could position yourself across from everyone else. And the final piece, I also believe we should be going back to full site, full where it's larger enterprise, where it's larger deal sizes. We should be going back to full cycle. So they should own the deal, cradle to grave, rather than this BDR, SDR, AE hand, handover. It's, it's, it's bollocks. And I remember at LinkedIn, after a year at LinkedIn, when I was a client of theirs, the sales dad, the first, the first cycle round, they tried to take Rob Fox off me. And I was like, no. So I spent a year building a relationship with this guy. He knows our business inside out. He knows how we work. And now you're going to hand me over to somewhere else. We're going to start this over again. I said, you've got two choices. We either renew and you give me Rob, or we don't renew and we part our ways. <laughs> Ball is in your court. And I was getting this, oh, that doesn't fit with our business model and this and that. I said, well, you've got two choices here. Yeah. We either renew and I keep Rob, or we don't renew and you lose a bunch of revenue. And guess what they did? We renewed and I kept Rob for another year and the relationship got, you know, got even deeper and stronger and um, uh, and better. So think about how you might be able to position yourself as a full cycle rep. And that might mean going rogue. That yeah. might mean doing stuff under the radar and taking something from cradle to grave and proving it can be done. Alex, I've, I've heard reps and then Jamie's heard it too, where, you know, they said, Hey man, they really want me. They really want me. You know, I got to keep this relationship and you're trying to promote them to the next level and you're trying to keep it, you know, small business group, national accounts, you know, all that yeah. crap. Um, so that comes down into a handoff issue. How would they, or maybe you were too small at the time, like, cause like LinkedIn, remember they wouldn't talk to anybody below 15 grand spend. Yeah. Right. Right. So how could they have, how, what advice would you give on the handoff where you'd feel more comfortable, you know, Rob transitioning over into somebody who would be, cause you can't have Rob forever. No, no. And, and so what the handoff should have been is six months into my relationship with Rob, you should have brought in the AE. Yeah. But they didn't. But that then doesn't work from a KPI perspective, does it? Because the AE is not making any money. Right. And then right. it's potentially between who, who's, who, who's getting the cash and all of this. So that then comes full circle back to what's broken is the way that we incentivize salespeople. So Marcus talks about that you should reward people on year three renewal. That's when they should get their massive kicker in terms of commission is year three renewal, not ink on paper, because ink on paper, they're like deals that I'm gonna piss off into yeah. the sunset and let someone else deal with that. So all it all comes back to what we're talking about. The process is not fit for purpose. So let's reinvent how we bring SDRs, BDRs, AEs, customer success into the fold, rather than it being a very blunt stop, 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 because yeah. we're client-centric, right? We're putting the buyer first. You're not, <laughs> because you're giving the buyers a really shitty experience. I feel like corporations always do short-term gains and then, like, overall overemphasize something. I think they've over-rotated uh, on SDR and BDRs, for because short-term gains have come from that and now they're so over deployed that the amount of bdrs and sbrs in the world is probably three times the sales reps it's ridiculous and it's yeah. just cold call spam because all they're doing is emailing linkedin spam emailing and it's just a spam uh function uh, that you're paying a person to do it's really bad cheap corporate marketing you know and and alex you brought it up a couple of times and i i i i wasn't gonna bite but the way we pay salespeople, this pay at risk thing do you think that's gonna go away and we're just gonna pay a fixed salary because when you have pay at risk it's like success is optional 
I mean, whatever the market wage is that a salesperson should get, they will get it. They have to bring in a certain amount of money. And if they want to make more money, they have to bring in more money and you pay, you, you pay them more. Uh, and then you hear, well, you know, the top reps, so, you know, they want to be competitive, they're competitive and whatnot. The top reps are always going to be the top reps, wh whatever you do. What are your thoughts on pay at risk versus a fi uh, fixed salary for salespeople? It's, it's, uh, it's fascinating because actually, as, as we're recording this, this coincides with a Gartner, um, I think it's Gartner thing, which is happening right now around, uh, I can find the email somewhere, blah, blah, blah. I can't where something around. In fact, the burnout rate in sales is, is X, Y, X, Y, here we go. Your sellers are not okay. And it says 89% of sellers feel burned out. 54% are actually looking for a new job. 59% think management doesn't understand how to motivate. 67% feel leadership is overly, overly optimistic and disconnected from seller reality. I mean, those are, sh those are shocking statistics, right? So let's think about the new world order that we now find ourselves um, selves in. Cost of living is going through the roof at the moment. The world, the world is literally burning. No one knows what to, uh, what to do. Jamie, you made the point that they know what their salary costs are. I guarantee... If you said to your sales teams, we will take the median of bonuses paid last year, and then we'll, you have to flex, okay, in terms of this, and we'll guarantee that as a, a, as a salary, and then we'll take the pressure off quarterly, this and that and that. I guarantee you probably 80% of the salespeople will say, you know what, I'll take that, because now I know my mortgage is paid, I know the bills are paid, I'm under less pressure, I'm happier, therefore if I'm happier, I'm going to be more content with my job. There's less pressure to, to close because I'm thinking, shit, if I don't make this, I've spent the commission check already. They can manage their finances in a much more effective, effective way. Then you start to look at bonus schemes for those that are overperformers and, um, uh, and, and this and that. But it could be, yeah, some people want money. Some people want more PTO. Some people want charity donations. Don't think that money is the, is the single route to what people actually um, actually want. And we're doing some work at the moment for our employee experience, where I think they said that if, if you have overall happy employees, generally, you can increase sales by as much as 20%. That's both consumer and, um, and B2B. So it's a much bigger question around this, but it's, it's back to, we've always done it this way. We've always commissioned, okay, well, let's try something different. The four day week, the this, the that. Let's actually try something different. I'll tell you what, Let's actually bring the salespeople into the conversation. Ask what they want, versus what we believe is right for the uh, right right for the sales team. Because if you know what your medium bonus payment is anyway, you're already paying that, right? You're already paying that out in terms of salary costs. And if your forecast is good enough in terms of what you're coming down the pipe, but you're then taking the pressure off people to close. The whole knock-on effect of what I believe this can potentially bring could be, it's a very cliche word to use, but could be game-changing for a sales function. And then all of a sudden, it's just everyone's more chilled out. Everyone's kind of uh, everyone's kind of this. So that's what I would do. Arnie, why, why do you finance people? Because it, it looks too expensive when you do the sales plan, when you do it that way. Why can't these CEOs, why can't these boards understand that? It's not, it's not a financial thing. It's more of a, they want, they want the 20 to 30% of the, to use your analogy, you said 80% would love it. Well, the, the CROs, they want the 20% that want to risk it. So they think those are the best sales reps out there when they're probably just the biggest gamblers out there. Um, 
but it's not a it's not a financial thing why we're not paying you so let me counter that then because again we're putting all worth thinking onto the 20, 80, 80 20 rule what if we then flipped it out of that the 80 that you don't think are very good maybe there are some amazing salespeople in that audience but they're just not being incentivized in a way that helps them achieve and you take that pressure off you take the pressure off shit i'm not going to make my monthly payment this on my car or this I, and that you could then find some amazing so they're actually better than the 20 percent because they're driving better customer experience they're treating their customers better they're not on that pressure the deals are stickier let's focus on churn rate and stats right it's terrible yeah i agree terrible, with you. Right? I was just, the question was are they not doing it because of finance? I would not say it's a financial. It's more Are you telling me, hold on, hold on. You're telling me when you show a fixed amount of salary on a sales plan, you're telling me that's not too expensive to a to a board that they look, oh my God, these are my fixed They're costs. They're too scared going. it won't get the results. But if you think the results will come, it doesn't matter. It'll probably be cheaper if you guaranteed salaries as long as you, if you guaranteed that pay as long as you, you deliver. The problem well, is when you, you don't deliver. Well, don't deliver. The, the whole caveat on this is you need strong leadership. If you got bad sales leadership, it, nothing's going to work, right? So and we're that assuming that to, there's... Yep. And that comes back to trust. That comes back to... And then, you know, the, if the Gartner stats are, are you know, are, are correct, is that 59% think management doesn't understand how to motivate. We're touching on this, right? 67% feel leadership is overly optimistic and disconnected from their seller. I'll tell you that probably why that is, because the leadership haven't sold actually sold in 10 15 years maybe they haven't right. been in the trenches and actually understanding because like back in the day when i did this it was really really yeah it was really fucking easy back in the day of course it was because it was a smaller market there was less to go for sas world are just just chewing themselves to death in terms of selling 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 and i think what are the stats that are six was it three to six percent of the market at any given moment is actually buying is actually in buying mode everyone else is like i'm not buying it's like, imagine a salesperson coming to you today going, buy a car. Well, I don't want to buy a car. Give a buy a car. I don't want to buy a car. I bought a car two years ago. I've got an issue. Give a buy a car. I don't want to buy a car, right? I'm not ready to buy a car. So I don't want to buy a car. <laughs> yeah, but you, you want to buy a car. No, <laughs> I don't want to buy a car. Bugger off. <laughs> Are you sure? Here, let me call you tomorrow. <laughs> Thoughts? <laughs> Thoughts? <laughs> Just following up, bubbling up to the top of your email chain. <laughs> Just thinking about you, Dave. You want to buy that car? <laughs> hey, Alex, what's the uh, best way for our viewers and listeners to uh, check out your podcast? Uh, come and find me on LinkedIn, Alex on below. Um, death of a still Google death of a salesman. It's across all the major. Well, I sound like a dick. It's across all the major streaming platforms. Yeah, um, yeah. It's hosted on. Uh, it's hosted on Podbean. You can find it on Apple. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Amazon, and I think a few a few others. But it's on in my the LinkedIn, show, right? in the show notes. They're in the show notes, whatever it is. But yeah, we're at the end here, and I don't want you to go too far off. But this podcasting thing, you think it's going to take off, you know, in marketing? Because I think more companies are going to use it. It's like an infomercial. It's, it's, it's already there. It's just not being used effectively. Yeah. What, it's just, again, it's the. Okay, that, that's um, let's take a step back, Alex. That's unfair. It is time consuming. Let's not get away from the fact that creating and posting and even the, in the kind Editing. of the very low budget version that I do of I know, yeah, like this still <laughs> takes um, still takes um, time. And we all know that social media teams are one of the un most under resourced teams on the planet because organizations don't understand the power 
uh, power of social media. Um, but what you can do to flip this, if you're interested in, if you, and this is back to the top tips, if you're a, a, a sales, whatever, whoever you are in sales, go find the podcasts that talk to your audience because podcast hosts are always looking for content, right? Go and find the podcast hosts and go and say, hey, I've got some interesting stuff to say about blah. We'd love to get on your podcast and have a chat about it because then you're leveraging their audience and their marketing material. And the flip side, you can then get it recorded and give that to your marketing team to push that out into your audience because the podcast hosts like that because it's creating kind of more um, uh, more visibility. But as I said, it is an incredibly powerful business development tool because you could use it as kind of guerrilla marketing tactics to get to the CIO, CTO, CFO, CEO, subject to size of organizations, right, of your target client and go, hey, saw you talk about that. We'd love to come and have you on your podcast, come and chat, because people love talking about themselves, right? <laughs> let's, 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 be, let's be realistic here. So I think, I mean, you can see the value that Spotify paying, you know, paying for some podcasts. Yeah. And, um, but like with anything in life, it takes time. It takes probably a good six months to a year before you start to get some legs and investment in it. Mine, I've been doing mine for three years, four years. The last 18 months, mine has now just started to take off yeah. because I think I've got enough of a platform, enough SEO that without me doing much kind of marketing around it, people are downloading at least four or five a day now. So I'm now yeah, tripping yeah. close to 10,000 downloads, whereas before I didn't care about downloads, I'm like, okay, I want to get 10,000 downloads. And then I will focus on getting to 20,000. But it took a year of effort to now get to the point, like anything in life, practice, practice, practice. It's it's just it's such a cliche. And that is back to the young listeners. This is going to sound massively condescending on a dad comment. And I have uh, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. Um, but life takes time. You will not be an overnight success. Some people get lucky. You know, fingers crossed I've got a Euro Millions ticket tonight. So maybe after today, I won't have to work again because I've won 111 million, 111 million <laughs> on, the, uh, on the Euros. And so if I disappear into the ether, you'll know, you'll know why. But I'm 45 years old. I've been in the game 20 years. I'm still learning. So it sales is hard work. Any, any role you're in, you need to develop and build that um, uh, experience. But make sure you're enjoying it. The minute you're not enjoying it, you're in the wrong place and go and do something else. So these these corporate marketers they got to figure out that you got to have you got to have a consistent podcast. Consi- there is no better ROI that you can do in marketing than than a, than a podcast. Just throwing it out there instead of AdWords. Alex, Alex, thank you again. My absolute pleasure. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. We'd like to thank Demand Farm Winalytics, Trent S. and Aaron J. for their continued support. DemandFarm.com, unlock key account growth, smart software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Go to DemandFarm.com, ask for Iron Man. Hey, check out Brent Keltner's Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass at winalytics.com. In eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in a new buyer environment. Sign your team up for the Masterclass today at winalytics.com. If you'd like to help us out to improve the quality of our content, go to patreon.com slash sassholes.